You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. Actually, I should say before we get that script, let's talk about what you're sitting right now. You're sitting there, former President Gerald Ford, and he's speaking in Columbus, Ohio, right before Bob Dole was supposed to begin speaking. And we expect to go to that speech live once it begins, and we'll just keep around in the meantime, right? Kind of yes. me for a second there. Right. Ford are joining him to launch his final campaign blitz. Dole says that he's determined to make every hour count. Says he'll spend the time trying to convince voters that President Clinton is not trustworthy and that there are too many ethical clouds hanging over the White House. Dole's 96-hour victory tour will take him to at least 15 states. From Ohio, he heads to Michigan later today, and then it's on to New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Indiana before heading south and west. Well, those polls are about evenly divided on Bob Dole. Ross Perot's favorable rating rather, has increased by 12 points. We have more political news coming for you in the next half hour on Inside Politics Extra. Stay with us. Following is CNN's coverage of a live event. Very special edition of, of Randall Wallace Presents, Gerald Ford. But this is a special edition because we're going to fast forward 20 years from the 1976 campaign to take a special look at Gerald Ford's running mate, Bob Dole. Bob Dole ran for president in 1996, and it is a lot of ways the end of the World War II generation. Now, when we started this podcast, that was what we were focusing on, the leadership given to America from 1940 through 1996, really. Uh, the World War II generation, the generation, the Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, that generation that led America through the war, and then the Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Bob Dole, <clears throat> generation that they kind of signified the presidents and Bob Dole, who was a senator, Dan Inouye was a senator, Ted Stevens, Strom Thurmond, those guys that we profiled early on in this podcast series about leadership of that generation to create the American century. And 1996's campaign is really the last time on the national stage that this group of people are on center stage. They play roles in the Clinton impeachment in 98, the 2000 election in 2000, you know, that came in 2000. You start to see them fade away in the, the late parts of the 2010s. But this is that last moment on center stage as Bob Dole, who had been the vice presidential runmate for Gerald Ford, takes on President Bill Clinton, the first baby boomer president. And this show is going to focus on... Uh, a rally in Dayton, Ohio, in which former President George H.W. Bush, who we're going to be profiling later on, and President Gerald Ford come to campaign for Bob Dole, 
who's who is in this very tight race. Now Dole has struggled throughout. You know, he he was running, and you know Iowa Steve Forbes, uh, the millionaire publisher, pours millions of dollars into hammering Bob Dole's uh, record and driving up his negative rating. Then we get to New Hampshire and Pat Buchanan, who was the forerunner of the, the America First, Make America Great Again stuff that you see Donald Trump doing today. This is really mimicking Pat Buchanan's campaign from 1992 and 1996. And so uh, Dole's in trouble there. Um, he gets in this huge fight, spends all of his money defending himself in the primary, and then he's in this election with Bill Clinton, uh, at, at, you know, you have a government shutdown and, and Dole's numbers drop, even though he is the, wins the nomination faster than anybody in American history. Um, and he, but he goes down 20 points to, to Bill Clinton and people don't realize this. He made that back up and he got, he only lost by about eight percentage points in the popular vote. It was a little electoral college was a little bigger, but, uh, he kept Bill Clinton under 49% or under 50%. He was like right at 49-42, I think, with Ross Perot, who was in the race, getting a little percentage. So all of this setting the stage for the final weekend of the campaign. And uh, I have found a, a, a story from Candy Crowley covering what Bob Dole tried to do to make this final push to see if he could get these polls to close in the final 96 hours. It was a marathon campaign run and that will be the lead in for the kickoff of that 96 hour campaign marathon non-stop by Bob Dole uh, that begins in Dayton, Ohio at the rally we're going to have here in just a few moments. This is Inside Politics with Bernard Shaw. Dole says the stakes in the 96 election are so high, he feels compelled to make every hour left in the campaign count. CNN's Candy Crowley has details on how he plans to do that. What do you do with the hours that are left? Use them. En route Tampa to Miami, Bob Dole laid out his fighting flight plan. All right, here we are, right here, only in America. Yes, right there, right from noon Friday in Ohio to noon Tuesday in Kansas, he will campaign nonstop. 96 for 96. It was his idea. Well, I've been uh, searching around for the last couple of weeks a way to sort of put a focus on this race, shake it up a little bit. I mean, the polls are moving. Are they moving rapidly enough? As Dole arrived in Miami, it was clear he kind of liked the ring of it. 96 hours from the factories of Ohio and Michigan through the bluegrass of Kentucky, in the towns and neighborhoods of the Midwest, across the Rocky Mountains, and through the city streets of California. And I will not rest until I have made my case to every worker, every family, and every voter. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Beneath the dogged determination, the twilight moments of Dole's campaign flicker with poignancy. Inside a darkened Tampa theater Thursday morning, Dole faced the faithful, some with tears in their eyes. He pumped his fist, flashed a V, and finally pushed his fingers into the sign for I love you. The former Miss America, who is deaf, has traveled with Dole and taught him. His speech opened with what he says will be the first line of his inaugural address. I'm proud to be an American, and I know you are too. Those for whom Dole has fought have begun to show up at his side. I believe in uh, duty. 
honor country. I believe in service. I believe in keeping the White House above partisan politics and away from these puny, terrible disputes we're seeing. Top staffers say Dole still believes he can pull this out, though sometimes now he is guarded. And let me say to those who might be looking at the pro candidacy in Florida, he can't win. I can beat one candidate, I can't beat two. He's still in there slugging, said one aide, and indeed he is. Dole absolutely thinks this is doable, added another staffer, but he's wise enough to know he should enjoy these days and the opportunity that's been given him. And Thursday, as Dole moved from Tampa and Miami into Georgia and finally Ohio, indeed he was. Candy Crowley, CNN, with the Dole campaign Atlanta. And CNN is planning live coverage of the kickoff to Dole's 96-hour tour with a rally in Columbus, Ohio. That's Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Inside Politics has learned that Dole will make 17 stops in 10 states, including Michigan, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, during the first two hours of his tour. He'll be traveling by bus and... In that story that you just heard, you hear Candy Crowley say, for those for whom Dole had fought have now come to his aid. And that's what's going to begin here. Bob Dole's in this uphill battle, but he does have some momentum going into this final weekend. It, and obviously it doesn't close the gap. Bill Clinton will win. But Bob Dole had been there. He had been chairman of the Republican Party uh, during Watergate or just as Watergate was happening. Then, then uh, you know, he's a, a, a big help to Gerald Ford. He becomes the vice presidential nominee in 1976. And, you know, the Ford Dole ticket made up a 22-point deficit in 1976 to only lose by a couple of points at the end to Jimmy Carter. Then, you know, you know George Bush and Dole had the famous fight in 1988 for the nomination, and uh, Bush wins, and Bush Dole becomes Bush's chief lieutenant in the United States Senate. And all those battles, Bob Dole has been there for these presidents, whether it was President Nixon, Ford, Ronald Reagan, who is not able to campaign in 96, or George H.W. Bush. And this rally is payback. And it, I, I know a lot about this campaign because it's the campaign of my lifetime. This was the one I was 25 years old and got in on the ground floor in South Carolina to help Bob Dole, and, and there's nobody that I admire in politics more than Bob Dole. He and George Bush, and then I admire Gerald Ford a great deal as a, as a young man, too. So these are the giants, other than Ronald Reagan, of my life here who come together in Dayton, Ohio, to campaign for Bob Dole as he kicks off this 96-hour marathon in an attempt to get himself in the game against, Bob, against Bill Clinton. And for me... You know, I admired these guys, and so this was a big event to have uh, Gerald Ford and George Bush help Bob Dole here in 1996. And it, and it is, a lot of ways, the last stand of a generation of Americans who made America great. And that's what I took away in 1996, that I got a chance to have a front-row seat, not only in this campaign, but in South Carolina, Strom Thurmond was running for re-election, his final one. He was 94 years old. I got to see these guys on the stump. I got to see them campaign. I got to see uh, what their leadership was all about and what they believed in and, and the examples that they said. And that has stuck with me all these years since. So here, Bob Dole's not the greatest speaker, but this is a neat rally. And like I said, an opportunity to see the greatest generation in action 
on the campaign trail one last time. And we owe to that generation, you know, more than we can ever repay because not only did they fight off the tyranny of Nazis, you know, they, they created the American century. We live in a great country today. While we've been around 200 years and the founding fathers and the generation that fought the Civil War and all that, this is the generation that fought the, that in, in our lifetimes that made America a world power and a world power that did good things all around the world. Thank you. Won't you all sit down, please? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mike. I never thought a Wolverine would get such a nice welcome in the great state of Ohio. I know it's not possible, but won't you treat those Wolverines just as nicely three weeks from now? It's a very high honor and a great privilege for me to be here on this very special occasion with two very dear friends of mine, former President George Bush and the next President of the United States, Bob Dole. Let me talk just a minute about some practical politics. Twenty years ago, Bob Dole was my running mate. We put on a tough campaign. We were getting closer and closer as the final date came. And unfortunately, we lost the state of Ohio by 11,000 votes out of 4 million. The point is this, if we had won Ohio in 1976, the Ford-Dole ticket would have won the election. We can't let that kind of a margin take over in 1996. And let me... We could have won the state of Ohio in 1976. As a result, we could have won the election. I strongly believe if the good voters of the great state of Ohio do as they have done in the past on behalf of President Reagan, we can win the state of Ohio in 1996 and George Bush can also stand up here and tell you that Bob Dole will be the next president of the United States. Hey, listen. Listen. First, uh, life's not fair. You know, I had everything all arranged, what I was going to say, yesterday. 
I had to speak right after Elizabeth Dole. And she said it so well, and she spelled out the case so convincingly for her husband that I was left but nothing to say. And then I come here to Ohio, I had it all written out, everything. And then my friend, yours, Jerry Ford, gets up here and gives that eloquent reason why we should all be for Bob Dole. It isn't fair. Life is not fair. Tell you, I tell you what I really think about the batting order, but as Dana Carvey was saying, no, I'm going to do it. It would be prudent, you know. So, so uh, I, 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 hey, crazy little Dana Carvey. I made millions for him, and now he's unemployed, you know. Let, let me salute the members of Congress here from the Republican side, from John Kasich on over to all of those who were serving so well. It is absolutely essential uh, that we keep control of the House, and I have a wonderful feeling these last few days we're going to do that, and the Senate as well. And I salute Mike. This guy, your governor, stood with me in my asterisk days. No one was more faithful or loyal, no couple, uh, than George and Janet Voinovich, and I'll always be grateful to them, and so will Barbara. But my role here is just to make a couple of words. Last night, my friend Griffin Bell, who served with honor in the Carter administration as an attorney general, made this statement, I'm told. He said, only a president should get FBI files. I never saw an FBI file as president. I had our general counsel to do that, but then I never had a barroom bouncer right there to look them all over for me either. I think, I think America is waking up. I honestly believe that Bob Dole's call a couple of weeks ago for this country to wake up and focus on something fundamentally important. The integrity and the honor of the office is catching hold. I, I've had my shot in politics. I was blessed with the help of a lot of people right here in this room to climb the highest political mountain in the world. And I made some mistakes. And we got some things right. But Barbara and I, as did the Fords before us and the Reagans, at least we upheld the honor and the integrity of the White House. about the politics anymore. I got a son who's the governor of the second biggest state in the nation, and I'm married to maybe the most famous woman in the United States of America. So I have a little bit of a, I have a little bit of an identity crisis as it is, but I'll tell you what does motivate me. It is respect for the White House. It is the old-fashioned values. 
duty, honor, country. And that's what drives me. That's what makes me so proud to be at the side of my friend Bob Dole. He's earned his stripes. He's earned them not only in combat, but as a leader in the Senate. And when he left office, Democrat after Democrat went to the microphone in the well of the Senate to say his word of honor was good. And what better thing can you say about the next president of the United States than that his word of honor is good? Thank you all very, very much. As the governor said, this is our weekly visit to Ohio. I'm glad to be back in Columbus. I haven't been here for a week. <laughs> Yesterday was Halloween. It's the day the kids all dress up and do scary things. It's sort of the way the White House is every day, the Clinton White House. Bill Clinton said he wanted to be president in the worst way, and now he is. And I appreciate the kind words about Elizabeth. I think she'll be an outstanding first lady, bring respect and honor to the office. I've said to some of you before, she is so talented that Eleanor Roosevelt's trying to reach her. <laughs> so we have four big days. I won't get into the Ohio State-Michigan game here, but we have four days. Four days until America, not the pollsters, not the pundits, but America, the voters, you, you're the, you're the real poll, right? This is the poll right here, right out here. You will decide who wins the election on November 5. <laughs> and starting at noon today in Ohio, in Mansfield, we will kick off a 96-hour nonstop campaign on the road to victory, on the road to victory. 96 hours, the road to victory. I remember a long time ago when I was in the hospital in Percy Jones, my father received a letter, I think it was 1947 in December, saying, in effect, that your son is dying. If we can do anything, let us know. Well, I didn't didn't happen. I didn't give up then. I'm not going to give up. Win this election. And in these closing days, take our message to Republicans and to Democrats, members of the Reform Party and independent voters, because this is a fight. This is a fight for America. To elect a president we can trust and one that will give us an economy that will give us hope. Working with John Kasich, the chairman of the Budget Committee, 
on the House side and Pete Domenici on the Senate side, I know we can get it done. We will stimulate the economy and we will have strong bipartisan support. I'm willing to bet right now. But let me say one other thing. I've heard all these wonderful things this morning, but I want to say when, you, when George Bush stands up and Gerald Ford stands up before you, you're looking at two men of honor and integrity who loved their country, who fought for their country and served their country because they loved America. That's what this election's about, about our country, about our country. This is about walking into the White House after you've been sworn in to be President of the United States and understanding in your heart at that moment you have a greater responsibility than anyone in America to set the highest standards for people all across America, the young, the old, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, because you are the President of the United States. This is not a game. This is not a game. This is not a contest of how arrogant you can be. And I wonder sometimes, and all the things, almost every week, there's another scandal. Even the New York Times today, been a Clinton apologist forever, saying you ought to tell what's happened. What they ought to do is withdraw their endorsement and endorse Bob Dole. That made a lot more sense to me. tell us anything. He's going to stonewall till next Tuesday and the polls close. I don't think that should happen in America. I don't think that should happen. There have been book after book after book after book written about this White House, not about private matters, but about this White House, about the public trust, and all kinds of allegations of what may be for sale, how they raise money. And I don't really believe that's what America's all about. I don't believe that's what independents and Democrats and members of the Reform Party, as well as Republicans. And President Ford stood here, came in to pick up the pieces after Watergate. He understood that our party, the wreckage was strewn, strewn all across America. We took a licking. We took a licking and we learned and we reformed. But now we've learned we didn't go far enough. And it seems to me that unless you can vote in America, you shouldn't contribute in America. If you're not a citizen, you can't vote. You shouldn't try to influence the election. So we're going to hit the road. Grand Rapids today and hit about 14 or 15 states in the next 96 hours. And we're going to do it around the clock. We're going to try to reach out to everyone we can at every truck stop, at every all-night diner. Because we want the American people to understand that we're dedicated, we're committed. It's not a game. It's about the greatest country on the face of the earth. And the stakes are high. They're high for you. Again, regardless of your party, they're high for you. If you're in business, they're high for you. If you're a senior citizen, they're high for you. 
Don't believe all the negative ads that are coming across the airwaves in Ohio and all across America about Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and student loans. Sometimes people don't tell the truth, and these ads do not tell the truth. As John will tell you, John Kasich and Debbie Price will tell you, we increased student loans in the Republican Congress. We increased the size of Pell Grants in the Republican Congress. We increased the growth of Medicare 7% a year in the Republican Congress. And he vetoed. What did he do? He raised taxes on Social Security benefits without a single Republican vote. The president ought to be ashamed of himself, but he looks truth right in the eye and walks beyond it. He looks you in the eyes, he'll do today, he'll make a speech in California, and he'll stand there and he'll talk about campaign finance reform and how he struggled to get it. He struggled to get it, Art, and they got a lot of it. They had these outreach programs, they called them. We have a foreign businessman who made an illegal contribution to the Democratic Party. We have a vice president raising, raising money to Buddhist temple where they take a vow of poverty. But he came out with 122 grand. And I would expect at least one fundraiser at a homeless shelter before this outfit finishes next Tuesday. Because somebody is giving somebody the money and they're giving the money to somebody else. They've got their own laundromat somewhere. And it's not right. We have a gardener writing several hundred thousand dollar check to the Democrats then leaving the country. All these people left the country. They can't vote here, but they want to influence elections here. And a lot of these negative ads on Medicare are being paid for by the Riedi family or Mr. Gandhi or somebody else. Now, Gandhi's a case in point. Here's a guy that scrimped and saved and worked hard and was able to collect $300,000 to give to the Clinton campaign. Then it was discovered he owed $10,000 in back taxes and lived in very modest housing. But he's gone. Gandhi's gone. We can't find him. And then John Wang, New York Times talks about him today in an editorial. Nobody could find him, but he got a personal note from the First Lady. But nobody else knew where he was. So the administration is in the midst of a growing scandal involving a flow of foreign money into the Democratic Party that bought access to the White House. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. So now Bill Clinton, four days before the campaign, is going to tell you about campaign finance reform. And what we have seen from this administration the last few weeks is the reason we need campaign finance reform. We need it, no question about it, and it will come. Six years ago, in 1990, I proposed a bipartisan commission. I'll be very honest with you. When the Democrats are in control of Congress, they want to make it a little better for them. And when Republicans control the Congress, we want to make it a little better for us. And the only way to make it fair and objective and real reform is to have a bipartisan commission. Bipartisan. Take it out of politics. Let somebody who understands the system but doesn't have any stake in it make recommendations to Congress of the United States. That's probably what the President will suggest today. But I asked President Clinton to show how serious about reform by accepting four common-sense ground rules for this bipartisan commission. Number one is to require that only American citizens can make a donation to a candidate or political party, which I just mentioned. We simply cannot allow the political influence of any American to be outweighed by foreign money. You have one vote, 
They have millions of dollars. Now, who do you think has the most influence? Because they're going to use that millions of dollars on television. In negative commercials, 98.5% of the time. In an American election, the voice of a single citizen must speak louder than the entire world because this is the United States of America. And you. Number two, we ought to abolish so-called soft money. Both parties take it. Don't misunderstand me. It comes from corporations and it comes from labor unions to federal candidates or parties to influence elections. We have to deal with it. We must have full disclosure of all corporate union money spent on so-called issue ads. The AFL CIO, the labor boss, has been out there spending millions, 35 million we know of, probably 50 or 60 million, on what they call issue ads. And what are they doing? They're out of bashing John Kasich and Debbie Price and everybody else running for Congress on Medicare and Medicaid. And they say, these are issue ads. They're nothing but partisan, negative partisan ads. And number three, no Americans will be forced against his or her will to give up part of his paycheck to finance a political agenda he doesn't agree with. Forty percent of union members are going to vote for us. Practically every day I meet union members upset with the bosses for spending their dues to promote liberal ideas they don't agree with at all. They're concerned about drugs and crime and education. But their money is taken out of their check and put into the Clinton campaign. That's what's happening. This is America. You shouldn't have to support someone when you don't believe in that person or don't believe in that agenda. And number four, we're going to have to abolish political action committees. So these are four principles I think the Bipartisan Commission ought to start on. Maybe there are others. There probably are others. But this, after Watergate, we got the message. After all that's happened in this White House, I think we, American people have again gotten the message. It wasn't partisan. It was bipartisan. It was across the board. If you want to clean up politics, this may be the time. And you think of all the money, all the money they spend. We think around $91 million trying to paint Bob Dole as some kind of an ogre who was against Medicare, veterans, Medicaid, student loans. Farmers, everybody. There wasn't anybody left. I'm opposed to everybody, except Bill Clinton. I'm opposed to him, too, but I don't get to run any ads. He ran against a guy in a primary, was in jail, and the result was he had an opponent, so it made him eligible for campaign federal funds of about $14 million. We need to change the system. But above all, we need to change the White House and have a new occupant there in January 1997. be willing to have a date, debate right here, Joe, if you can work it out, on campaign finance reform with the president and with Ross Perot and talk about it. And talk about it. I don't think he'll come, but I think he'll be in Ohio again. Maybe I'll go wherever he goes if he wants to meet me somewhere and talk about campaign finance reform. Thank John Kasich for his help on our tax package and Mike DeWine 
and others. This is not rocket science. You know what we figured out? We had a big meeting and we figured out that it's really your money, it's not ours. Ever occur to you that it's your money? And we didn't have to appoint a commission. We figured that out all by ourselves. And you haven't had a federal tax cut in 10 years. And 15% across the board for a family of four with a $500 child credit for a child under 18 in Ohio is $1,261. It's a Main Street tax cut. It's not a Wall Street tax cut. It's for working families, families with children. 40 million children are going to be involved in this tax cut. 40 million, 40 million little $500 credits out there. And the money's going to go to the family. And you can have more daycare, or maybe make some mortgage payments, or maybe make a down payment on a car, or maybe even take a vacation. Better you take one than Hazel and Leary fly all around the world at your expense. What about you having a vacation? And then to get the economy rolling again, we're going to cut the capital gains rate in half, 50%, right down the middle, 50%. don't apologize because the government doesn't take all your money. They ought to apologize for taking too much in the first place. And we're going to make it work, and we're going to have a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution, which President Clinton defeated by twisting arms and getting six Democrats to vote the other way. You know, I think when young people get together for sports and everything else, if they want to get together on their own without any dictation from the teachers of the state, they ought to have a little voluntary prayer ought to be permitted now, and then probably be good for America. Maybe it's only symbolic, maybe it's only symbolic, but I believe in an amendment to protect the flag of the United States. It means a lot to veterans and others who serve their country, and it ought to be out there, and it ought to be done, and I'm for it, and he's against it. And finally, I want to challenge all of you, maybe you can't put in 96 hours, We'll buy the no-dos if you'll do it. In my view, if candidates and party leaders across America will join us in this last 96 hours, which starts in the great state of Ohio, in about two hours, 96 hours from noon today until noon on Election Day when I cast my vote in the great metropolitan area of Russell, Kansas, that is 96 hours. And that's not, we're not doing this to punish the media. That's not my intent. I know some are skeptical. I wouldn't think of anything like that. Well, I thought of it, but I wouldn't. But this is about America. The last time I fought around, for, fought around the clock for my country was in Italy in 1945. It was worth it then, and it's worth it now, and we're going to make it happen. Thank you very much, and God bless America. Bob Dole was in Columbus, Ohio on Friday. After a one-hour shower break at a California hotel, Bob Dole flew to Phoenix for what's starting to become a tradition, a pre-dawn breakfast at a local diner. Bob Dole has developed a noticeable laryngitis problem, but voice or no voice, he still says he is the voice of reason. And I want to say without any criticism of anybody 
You know, a vote for Perot, as I view it, is a vote for Bill Clinton. And if you don't want Bill Clinton, then you want to vote for Bob Dole. It's that simple. Dole has served up some good news at the diner stop, an endorsement from Ross Perot's 1992 Arizona campaign chairman. Yeah, all of us. It was then on to Alamogordo, New Mexico, home of the International Space Hall of Fame in the White Sands Missile Range, where national defense came up. And when I'm president of the United States, if we would ever have to send somebody halfway around the world to protect our liberty and freedom, I will make that decision, not Boutrous, Boutrous Golly at the United Nations. Late Sunday and early Monday morning, Dole attended three rallies in California, and he slammed Bill Clinton at each. Whether it's FBI files, whether it's the pardon, or whether it's something else, whether it's foreign money, there's nothing they will not do. There's nothing they will not do to keep power. This is a game. This should not be a game. This is our country. The White House is not for sale. The White House is not for sale. At rallies in Loma Linda, California, in the state capital of Sacramento, Dole was joined by running mate Jack Kemp, who expressed utmost confidence. You are the engine of the greatest comeback in the history of American politics. You will elect the next president, not the pollsters, not the pundits, not the naysayers, not the wobbly knees, not the sunshine patriots. You will. But the Republican Party chairman isn't quite as brazen in his optimism. But there's a lot of difference between we cannot win and we may not win. Bob Dole may not win. He says himself he's the underdog. He's behind in the polls, but he can win. Still to come before Bob Dole rests again, visits to Louisiana, Tennessee, Iowa, and Missouri. Lou and Bobby, back to you. All right, Gary, we'll try to keep up. Lou. Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again and so long for now.